welcome to the Great Rift Podcast with me, Jamie. And me, David. And we're going to be talking about our time at Black Library Live. Yeah. So it, was a, it was a good day, wasn't it? It was. It was long. I mean, it was longer for you than it was for me. Um, yeah, it was still so long. Like 5.30 to pick our, our mate James up and then went round and drove into inner London for you, Dave. Yeah, thanks. Your personal chauffeur. Yeah, it's always the way when I go to Warhammer World. Someone chauffeurs me up there and back. It's great. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't too bad. It was alright, especially at that time in the morning. It's fairly easy. Yeah, I guess it's the case of needing to get there for 10am and we're a good three hours away from my area. So it's, yeah, it's an early drive. Yeah, so we did that. Um, we got there pretty much bang on time. And it, it wasn't like hugely busy, actually, which was, I think it was quite as a positive. Yeah, it it wasn't a, as busy an event as I was expecting. There was there was space everywhere we went. It wasn't like overly crowded. I was expecting it to be worse. I've been there when it's busier. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it was it was good. It felt it felt like not too crammed and you could walk around. So yeah, we got there. I mean, basically there was sort of like a goodie bag, which was nice. Yeah, it was yeah. good to get free stuff. Big more. Well, I say free. We paid for the ticket, but. I would yeah, have paid for the ticket with no free stuff. I didn't know we were getting free stuff, so it's a bonus. Yeah, so it was good. We got that um, oh, that book, the Age of Sigma book. Was it Hammerhull? Uh, yeah, I'm just looking at it now. It's uh, Hammerhull and other stories, so it's all Age of Sigma, which is pretty cool. Yeah, they're really definitely really pushing the sig- like the new uh, War of Souls Sigma stuff. So yeah, absolutely, um, and it felt good. The vibe was really good. Like. Everyone was really buzzing to be there. It was, yeah, really exciting. Very, very, very cool. Um, shall we jump into talking about what we went to? Yeah, so as yeah, we, we got there, got the free free stuff, basically, and it was basically bang on time for the first sort of seminar. Yeah. So uh, our first choice was with... Um, uh, it was called The War of Souls um, with Josh Reynolds, um, which was all about Age of Sigma and the new... Two point, I guess it's the tie-in for the 2.0 release coming out. Um, yeah, so that that free book was sort of helps you introduce you to it, and then he was talking about his new novel on it, and sort of yeah about where it's where it all's kicking off basically. Yeah, I thought it was really fascinating. So I know not everyone's the biggest Warhammer fans out there. A lot of people tend to drift more towards 40k and Horus Heresy at the moment, but. I thought it was fascinating. I think he really brought it to life, and I absolutely wanted that book as soon as he finished his seminar. Um, but unfortunately, they only had their uber expensive mega book available. Um, it's coming out at a later date in more palatable spend, but I really couldn't justify 40 quid on one book as much as I wanted to read it. Um, yeah, as someone who doesn't, has not dipped his toe into the sigma waters per se it was a it was a really interesting talk he like sort of even laid out of what where everything is so i think he's basically saying uh, nagash has been able to steal all the souls basically and that's yeah sort of pissed off sigma quite yeah so that i think it's it's kind of showing the pettiness and the spite right so for those that don't really know much about age of sigma at the moment the whole the world, the old world blowing up and the new world being structured. Sigma and Death kind of were on the same side. They got along for a long millennia. Um, trying yeah, to it re- really surprised me. Yeah, yeah, like the yeah, last yeah. two of the 
gods, shall we say, yeah. who were like still together. Yeah, they were kind of like yin and yang, weren't they? They're like, but they knew they needed to, there was a balance there that they needed to work together. Um, and they were both were they both mortal at some point? They both were, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I know I know a lot about Nagash's background from Kemri, where he like used to raise. You know, it's basically ancient Egypt, like like everything in the Warhammer world. It was all a rip off of real world stuff. Um, but no, they were pals for a long time, and that's come out through the Malign Portents books and the um, N- Legions of Nagash book, is that Nagash has spent a long time building his empire, and he did it with the help of Sigmar. They kind of had an agreement, but from our understanding from Josh Ronald's book, is actually um, uh, Nagash has been really fucked off about uh, the souls being stolen to make Sigmarites, or Sigmarines, yeah, as yeah. they get called. Yeah, when they die, they're not they're not going to the dead, they're sort of being brought back to life. So. Yeah, and the agreement was that Nagash got all the souls, so he's pretty pissed off that his side of the bargain isn't being adhered to, and it looks like what's happening is all the other races, like the, I forget what they're called, the Deepkin, the, the yeah, water, yeah, water elves, they, they siphon off their own souls now as well, so it looks, everything's about that currency of soul. Um, but the most, the, the thing I found really interesting is, um, at question time someone asked Josh about the big bad you know is Nagash now the big bad and he said yeah but actually he said picture this this is Sigmar and Nagash having a fist fight on a burning ship when really they should be fighting the fire that is chaos because that's the real problem and that is going after both of them but for some reason they've decided that they just have to duke it out between them instead um the he, he did you i really I, I like this i don't know how you felt about it. when he was hammering home as readers we have more information than the characters so sigmar and nagash making stupid decisions and beating the shit out of each other all the time to them that's the right thing to do at that time because they don't know everything else yeah they keep forgetting about everything as well don't they so yeah i thought it was really really interesting so it, for me it definitely i mean i collect death so i've got a vested interest but um it's almost like 2.0 for the game but also for the narrative and they're 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 world building they're really world building now they're putting that juicy context into everything and actually making it worth worth people getting invested in um so i think that's what put a lot of people off they killed off the old world and then it's just like right here's a bunch of stuff that's not that interesting for people so it's nice to see it coming alive yeah it's definitely um it's really interesting as well when he said um, like who do you? Somebody asked him, "Who do you think's right or wrong?" And he's like, "Actually, he's like theoretically, he's actually sort of on the Nagash's side, but because yeah. he's such a major asshole, you can't root for him." Yeah, but yeah. He's not entirely wrong. He's not all. He's not in the wrong necessarily. Sigma has also done his fair share of not being right by yeah. him doing, like being. Shall we say his maybe the way that Sigma does stuff is not necessarily the right. But because he's like maybe holds his hands up, or he's basically not a big asshole like Nagash is, he kind of in the end that you sort of have to root for him. So. Yeah, I liked how he pointed out that Nagash is just a bit of a dick. Like he's petty, he's spiteful, he does things because he can. But I thought it was good. I thought it was really interesting, and I, I really liked how that he hammered home the importance of um, Nagash on the tabletop isn't Nagash one hundred percent. That's Nagash siphoning off a piece of himself to go and do something but actually Nagash is a god and he's everywhere he's he's in the realm of death doing a million things at once just the model version of him is just that uh, I think he called it a shard 
Yeah, 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 that was exactly. And then he said the same about Sigma as well. So when Sigma's talking to people, someone, he like, it's only a shard of him and, you know, he may forget to leave foot tracks in the snow because he was human, so he knows he should do that. But because it's only like a small shard of him, he's not fully concentrating on it. Um, yeah. Yeah, so it was, really, it was really well done. Yeah, where he was describing the characters, it kind of, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if they'd ever do a Sigma model or at some point, like like you say, a shard and a gash, like maybe a, a different a shard, shard. Sigma yeah. in, on the tabletop form. Yeah, it'd be really interesting. If they I'd hope so. So the book that Josh has coming out sounds pretty cool. I know our podcast is about older books, but the whole point of us going was to get juicy content, I guess. Um, I liked that the book Josh Reynolds has written, um, the, is it Soul Wars? The Soul yes. War, yeah. So Soul that, of the Wars, yeah. Yeah, War, so, of, the War of the Souls. War of the, the other. Souls, that was it, yeah. War of the Souls. So that was a special edition book coming out that weekend for special release. Um, I liked that he purposely wrote a story to tie in with the game coming out, which is obviously their prerogative, but he intentionally made it a left-hand story. So the game has one narrative and his is kind of to the side. So it's in the same setting and it's in the same moment. It's just a little bit to the left. So yeah, I'm yeah. really intrigued to read that. I think that'd be really fun. Yeah, you also described some of like the Sigmarines in it, or I call them Sigmarines anyway. That <laughs> they're not; they are different to Space Marines. Like, oh yeah, he gave them a lot more, a lot more humanity because they were human. So a lot of them, like he said, one of the characters, he looks after this um, child, and he um, he does feels sorry for her a bit, and knows that he should look after her because he rene- he sort of remembers he may have had a family, and he feels he has a connection to that. Whereas a Space Marine. He has none of that connection at all. Because yeah, a space marine's done as a child. Like yeah, by yeah. the time they're ten, they're already training. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. they're like they are they are very different in how they react to the world and the people around them. So as someone who doesn't really play Sigma, I know hardly anything about the background. That was quite a nice contrast to me because usually a lot, as everyone says, so these are just space golden space marines, which is not it's not quite true. No, no, and there's there's a lot around the Sigmarites, which is really cool. Um, I really like that they get reborn. So when they die, they, you know, shard of lightning, Sigma siphons off the souls, however he's doing it, and they get brought back again. But every time they get brought back, they lose a little bit more of their past. So they, the longer they're alive and the more times they're brought back, the more and more or robotic, I guess is the term I'm looking for. Yeah. They, they just become killing machines. They have no personality. They don't know anything. Um, so there's like there's a price to pay, which I really like. I think that's that makes it far more tragic for me than just oh here's a space marine that can be born over and over again, which yeah, is kind yeah, of the exactly. perception. So yeah, that's really nice. Um, cool. Um, and I guess just Josh Reynolds, he was really funny. Like yeah, yeah, he was, he was a great he was character. Really, yeah, great character. He said he was talking about uh, that he wants to write basically writes a book about mushroom farmers. Yeah, there was a bit. He was like he he was talking about how he writes and develops stories, and he'll go and write you know two thousand, three thousand, four thousand words on the silk trade of an area, just to try and understand. It's just for himself, just to try and understand a location, or it could be about farming. And said that was it like two? He wrote two chapters worth of mushroom farming and silk trading, yeah, yeah. just for the area that's being attacked. And then and the editor was saying. Yeah, we wouldn't have put that in. I probably wouldn't even read it. Yeah. And he said, but people want it. And he's like, I'm going to go away and write a whole book about goblin mushroom farming, which I thought was amazing. 
and everyone would buy it probably yeah i think so i think so okay so that was the uh, first seminar the war of the souls um, yeah, it was a tasty warm up. It was yeah, it was nice. It was nice. It was a nice quiet uh, room as well. It was barely half full, so it was a nice. It's a nice, the staff canteen. I yeah, I think so. I'm not sure what that room was. It was a bit bit different. Um, so then we went into the juicier one, which when we um, booked the tickets, only one person was presenting this. They actually updated the event timetable um, on the day. So yeah. originally, I think it was just John French doing this but it, yeah that, yeah which it was is, i think you're yeah. right yeah but um so the second one we went to which is in the same room was the traitors united which they jokingly said is the worst sounding football team ever um <laughs> but it was about the horus heresy um da, da, da. Yeah. yeah like kind of a this was quite i was quite excited for this one. this was a fantastic seminar i left this with just a big grin on my face um but this was actually John French, Neil Roberts, and Dan Abnett, which was huge. Yay. Like the, the man himself was in it, and it was absolutely fantastic. So the key point of this uh, seminar was about the book that they were releasing, which I did buy, um, Slaves to Darkness, which is the cover um, that um, has been floating around for a while now with the big man Horus himself and the other... Primarchs, Barmortarian and Kurz, I don't think they're on it. But um, Yeah, got... so I think he's, they said actually in the book everyone's mentioned except Kurz because he's doing his usual skinning people into lampshade stuff. So. Yeah, just um, a spoiler I've already started reading it um, and Mortarian's in it pretty quick. Um, but but I you won't... read Wolfsbane, Dave. You can't read it without reading Wolfsbane. I just couldn't resist. I just couldn't resist. I had to Indeed. just dive in. Um, I thought you might. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, I just need to dive in. I just, I couldn't stop myself. Um, but yeah, it's, it's good. Is all I would say. Um, but it's cool because we had um, uh, Neil Roberts there, who's the artist who's done all of the covers, bar one, I think they said. Um, but yeah, should we just talk about um, a bit of a flavour of what they were, what, what the point of that seminar was? It, so let's talk about slaves of, of, of darkness, but also just. The heresy in general give us a little bit yeah, of a steer. Was, yeah, definitely. They wanted to like to sort of talk about how it sort of developed and got to this point, and then they were sort of talking about right. So this is sort of the start of the end, basically. As a lot of people know, that we are sort of ramping up to the inevitable fight, as everyone knows, everyone's seen. Yeah. The legend, the one that's gone down in legend between father and son, but. Mm. They were talking about, I thought it was quite interesting that, as they said, history is usually written, or pretty much always written, by the victor. So there's a lot of side stories that they might tell, well not side stories, but a lot of other aspects that we, cause the, um, because it's, you know, the period may have not recorded this down and not recorded it into history, that we they can tell in these stories leading up to this big fight, which I thought was very tantalising about what, other options and possibilities there are that they could tell. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, the big thing for me was when Dan Abnett, he he repeated it about three times. Not not because people asked him the same question three times, but he repeated three times. Their job, and they've it's always been a hard one, is um, they always refer to the Horus Heresy as a writing team as the Titanic. Um, it, when you yeah. watch when you watch the film Titanic, everyone knows when they sit down to watch it how it's going to end. Yeah, the ship sinks. Right? The ship no sinks. <laughs> Everyone fucking knows there's a big iceberg and the ship sinks. And he said the Horus Heresy is no different. Everyone knows the Emperor and Horus have a fight on Horus's ship. Sanguinius, spoiler, dies, and 
the emperor gets put on the golden throne and Horus dies, blah, blah, blah. But they're saying that the most important thing for them is actually identifying the gaps, identifying what what the perception is, I guess, you know, who was where, and then expanding on it. And, um, yeah, like you said, history is written by the victor. And someone else has said this before. I think it might have been ADB. But everything that exists in the Warhammer 40k um, written background, so all the rule books, the codexes, all that stuff, it's all written from the perception of imperial knowledge. Um, and, uh, you know, history is written by the victor. It means that they've said that all the keystones that you know will, will happen but the context behind why they happen is the space they're playing in. Um, they didn't give anything away. It's just about the context. So I mean, that, yeah. that opens up huge possibilities. Like, I don't know, Spitball. How does Sanguinius die? You know, we know he dies. We know it's meant to be Horus that kills him, but fuck knows why he does die now. Like, it could be completely different to what we expect. And there's always the whole thing about why the Emperor teleports himself why, why does Horus let down his shields exactly. before the Emperor to teleport? There's all these things about, like, I think they said they, you know, they know why things happen, like, things happen, but the whole point of the book is to explore why they did this. Why did um, Russ go and attack Horus? Why did, you know, there's, and there's whole stories and things behind that that makes them lead up to that decision on why they do something. So, yeah, it's, yeah. it's Basically, there's a fair few books still to go. Yeah, but they did say that Slaves to Darkness is the last one. If I remember correctly, this is the last one before the end. So they're now yeah. in the they're now in the end game stretch. They, I don't think they even know how many books it's going to be, or maybe they do, but they didn't let on. I'm sure someone somewhere has said we know how many books there are, but we know what Black Library are like. Their, their timelines and stuff do shift around quite rapidly. If someone had an amazing idea, they're not going to say no. Nah, don't write that. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. Um, so they're in the end stretch now. I'm gonna put a finger in the air and guess what book are we on now? It's like forty something. They're probably gonna want to go for a round number, aren't they? Um, I reckon another six books, maybe. I don't know. I'm just guessing. I reckon yeah, it'll be fifty-five. I reckon total. they'll. I reckon they'll bookend it neatly with a closing trilogy. So you know, open with a solid trilogy, close with a solid trilogy. Um, the, yeah. the Siege of Terror yeah. isn't just Terror people always forget that, it's not just on the planet Terror, it's the whole solar system and it becomes a yeah. flat out war zone of ships everywhere it's, it, it's going to be, there's a huge space to play in um, like, yeah they said like, well they give an example of like uh, they don't want you suddenly to open a book and suddenly a custodian walks in and goes oh there's a bloody big fight out there on the Siege of Terror, <laughs> like, they want to it's going to go into a big detail about the battle, so yeah, it's not going to be a passing mention in a book of what happens. It's you're going to be in the like the thick of it. Yeah, it's terrifying to think we're already there. And I remember buying the first book when it came out, the the day it came out. I think it was. Um, I think I told you in the drive down um, that I remember going into Games Workshop and buying it because I'd only got in to buy a paintbrush, and that was like, I think it was like two thousand and five or something ridiculous, <laughs> like. I can't yeah. even remember when the first one came out, but it's been like it's going to be like fifteen years of a series. It's insane. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, talk about a bit about Neil as well, because yeah, definitely. Let's talk about visual, Neil. As a, uh, I'm a bit of a visual person, so those and everyone, everyone knows his covers are pretty iconic in in Warhammer in general. Um, yeah, he's he's seemed like a really really cool guy. He's and and just loves painting 
Space Marines. Yeah, it's uh, what I loved is uh, the way they talked about the circular nature, the circular nature of the creative process. So they don't. Yeah, definitely. So like Dan Abnett doesn't finish a book and then give it to Black Library, and then Black Library go, "Hi Neil, here's a book. You need to now go make a cover." They'll get a synopsis from Dan, and then Dan and Neil will talk, and it just goes round and round. So as the book's been written, Neil's developing the cover. So Neil might do something in the cover that makes the writer go, "Oh shit, that's a great idea." Pop that in, like so they. It, it's all co-creation, which I, as someone that works in the creative industry, I fucking love. I think that's so exciting. There's nothing worse than being boxed away and made creative being made into a tick box exercise. Yeah, when exactly. it becomes like a living thing that people have crafted, it's so much more exciting. Yeah, um, yeah definitely. So, it, I mean, so that obviously just shows you as well that how much of an input he does have on, on stories and how oh, yeah. he, his art can definitely change the way things were going. So, yeah. It's, yeah, I thought that was fascinating. It was really interesting to hear. Um, I love the story um, he was telling about him and John French battling over Horace's eyes on the cover of Slaves to Darkness. Yeah, so yeah, there's a few things that he said about this specific cover in, in general. So one was, as you're saying, the eyes, which you want to go on to about? Yeah, yeah. So if you haven't seen the cover, go Google Slave to Darkness Horace on our Instagram cover. as well. Yeah, it's on our Instagram. Yeah, so funny. yeah, go look at that. But Horace has got black eyes with like, so they're almost like smoky, like coming out. But originally he was going to give Horace just really scary red, uh, white eyes, um, you know, just standard Horace eyes. But John French was like, no, it doesn't work. Trust me, give him black eyes. It's part of his character. He's, you know, oozing this chaos blackness. And um, Neil did it and was like, oh shit, yeah, you're right, John. Fuck's sake. Which I really liked. Like, that's just really funny. Yeah, it's quite interesting. They said, like, the Emperor, the Emperor and Horus are sort of similar, but then polar opposites, as people would guess at this point. So mm-hmm. the Emperor has very bright white eyes, cause you, so you can never really see them. And Horace at the, and they say Horace at this point in this story as well is very smoke and mirrors. They sort of he's yeah. become a bit even a myth to look, sort of even his brothers in some ways. Well, yeah, Dan, Dan was saying that like the the sons of Horace are terrified of Horace now. Like his own men are terrified to even go near him. He's just become so obscenely powerful, which is the opposite to the Emperor. People want to be around him because they get radiated in light and yeah. lovely feelings, um, which I thought was amazing. Really, really cool. Um, so yeah, that was the Horace Heresy. I haven't got anything else to gossip about on that, have you? Um, it's just a few things I picked up on, because obviously I'm quite uh, new to the game, to the Horace Heresy, so I'm sort of only book 10 or 11 in. I was sort of going in chronological order, well, chronological, I mean order that they were published, the timeline they have on the website. So yeah. I think I picked up uh, The First Heretic while I was at Warhammer World, so I'm looking forward to that one. Which you will love. Um, I promise you, knowing how much you enjoyed the Night Lord trilogy, it's uh, yeah, it's good. It's very good. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to it. And it was just something they said about Horace at this point was like how this is not the this is not the deal that he thought he was making. Oh yeah, so I'll he, about that. There's always that whole point about how he's made this. Deal. Everyone thinks he made this deal. This chaos. He's big evil bad. Well, actually, he's only really got one thing in mind: was to sort of punish his father. But he just he thought chaos was the tool for that to happen. Whereas now he's seeing all his brothers change, he's seeing the whole dynamic of this traitor side changing. He's like, this is not really what I wanted. Maybe this is, but he's he's got to go with it because he's too now. far in. Basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's nothing he can do, so he's just going to use it to his advantage. But this is maybe he's not the bad guy that everyone thinks that he is. Yeah, I reckon there's a potential for 
sorrow to creep in and regret. Um, oh yeah, definitely. And I know that one of the avenues of the Horus death in the past, I can't remember where it's from, but there were some bits in the narrative where Sanguinius, before he died, had put a little chink in the armour and that the Emperor exploited that when he fought him. There's others that are saying that actually the Emperor killed him with mind bullets by Horus suddenly being like overwhelmed by grief of what he's done. Um, yes. Yeah. And you know what? They're, they're, they're kind of hinting at that now. Like that's, that's the impression I got. That maybe there's this little part of him who is just a little bit, oh fuck, what have I done? Yeah, um, definitely. Who knows? That could uh, be interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the last thing they said was that they they can either confirm or deny with Dan having a, you know nodding his head in the background that they will <laughs> there will be books after the uh, after the battle. Yeah, I really like that. So, so it was one of the questions in question time, right? Someone just shouted, "Will there be any more books?" And the uh, lovely, I really liked the hosts for the event. They were all great. Yeah, the, the editors. They're all really, the editors. Yeah, they're really good. So if, um, it's the first time we've been. I don't know if it's a common thing, but I thought it was great. All the editors of Black Library host it, all of the cinema uh, se- seminars, and are kind of just there to help out on, in the day. And she, they were, they were obviously a little bit more hard lined because they've, you know, they're not the writers, but they were saying I cannot confirm nor deny. And in the background, Dan just nodding, and I think he mouthed, "There absolutely will be." Um, <laughs> yes, there will. Well, that's exciting. Um, yeah, cool. Okay, um, then we had lunch, right? That, after that, it was just lunch break. I was starving. Um, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for anyone interested, because we did joke about it on Instagram, uh, I think I had a cheese and pickle sandwich. So, And what did you have, Jamie? You had a... I think I had a tuna sandwich. There you go. And, uh, and our friend James, who's probably one of the leanest people I've ever met, had some dirty fries. Dirty fries. So I used to live with James, I mentioned before. James can eat twice as much as me doesn't put on anything like i don't know how he does it it's incredible good genes yeah yeah uh so anyway that was our lunch it was lovely it's very busy in there very very busy sort of everyone went for lunch at the same time uh but then after lunch we went to uh, a seminar called angels of the emperor with the lovely phil kelly and neil roberts was, was neil roberts in there yeah, yeah he, he was, was he was as well and um oh there's another guy I remember his name. His name the guy who writes the Mephiston stuff. Yeah, I'll just Google it now while you talk. Yeah, so there was talk about... It's basically the seminar was called... Uh, it was about... Was it Angels of the... It's called An- uh, Angels of the Emperor. Angels of the Emperor, yeah. So basically there was two books that are coming out. One on Dark Angels and one on... Is it Mephiston? Yeah, one on Mephiston. It's uh, Darius Hinks. Darius Hinks, yeah. And... Um, so yeah, it's, you know, your blood angels and your dark angels, and it was really good because one dark angels one seemed to be focused on how they are now incorporating, utilizing Primaris Marines, and obviously everyone's like, oh no, with well, the dark angels, how are they going to like it? Obviously, you know, secret, secret. We didn't want new people coming into us, as, you know, our group, as yeah. we say. And it was yeah, it's really well done. I think I really liked um, Phil Kelly's talk about Primaris Marines about how they are designed for a very, very specific role they're not like space marines are hardened in all forms of combat yep. you know front line shooting yeah space combat they will use they'll bludgeon you to death with anything they can find whereas primaris marines have been trained to long-range weapons or they you know into their they've been trained really well in in their one specific weapon and they have 
their utility and their job, and that's what they're designed to do. And they're also sort of kind of, I think, describing them, I don't know, I felt that he's describing them a bit like a child wanting to please, maybe. Yeah. That they wanted to, you know, they're not, they don't feel like being competitive with the other space when there's basically, they want to help. They're here to help. Yeah. They want to, they want, they want to help them out and do, you know, do whatever they, that needs to be done for them. So, yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting you talk about that because they are more akin to how Space Marine Space Marines are structured during the Horus Heresy. They're more aligned to that. So in the Horus Heresy, you had big blobs of 20 Marines walking around in big groups and all they had was bolt guns. Their job was mow down infantry from range. Then you had, you know, 10 missile launchers in a squad. Your job, shoot things with missile launchers. They're similar to that. They're built into one big thing. That's your job do that job but then obviously when the codex astartes landed after the heresy during the scouring and everything was broken down the structure changed and i'm not sure if you're aware of the structure but it starts with becoming a scout which that didn't exist really that didn't really exist during the heresy it was quite a bit more rapid than that i think people did start as scouts but they didn't go into a scout company they stayed with their own company um so it starts as a scout then I think the first thing you're inducted into is the Devastator Marines. So, because you, then you learn warfare from range. Then you're inducted into the Assault Marines. So, then you go and learn to fight up close and move fast. Then the final one is the Tactical Marines. So, the Marines that have survived being in the other two and being in Tactical Marines are actually immensely talented. Um, you know, they've, they've gone through all of the rigor of being a scout long range and assault now they're given a bolt gun and a combat blade and off you go like they know the combat inside out um and they alternate weapons so you know how in the game you'll have like 10 men one heavy weapon one assault weapon and a sergeant sergeant can do what he wants but that heavy weapon and assault weapon normally actually gets circulated around so Mm. that everyone stays fresh so they all know what they're doing they all know how to do it so I, i think that's really cool that they've gone primaris are while they're new and shiny actually they've been developed more closely to the heresy which i thought was really nice i was that that really does differentiate them to me there are a lot yeah definitely yeah it was good it was definitely a good way of trying to incorporate them and they fill a role that they're not just trying to take over yeah the space marines role so yeah so cool. uh, and like you mentioned i really liked how this uh the book phil kelly released which came out that weekend and sold out before i even got to look at it um yeah what was it called sort of something Sword of Lies, maybe. Sort of Dark Angel-y thing. Sort yeah. of Dark Angel-y thing by Phil Kelly. It's going to be great. But James wanted it when we came out of the cinema. He's like, that sounds amazing. Just give a quick premise. It's, um, like like Jamie said, it's about a bunch of Primaris Marines who have all been seconded to their... Well, not seconded, but, you know, handed over to the Dark Angels as they are Dark Angels warriors. But when they were inducted, Dark Angels looked very differently. And over time, they've really got secretive. Uh, I used to collect them. I know them very well, like in terms of the background and the fluff. You know, it's circles and circles and circles of lies upon lies upon lies and secrets. So <laughs> Phil Kelly actually said that the Dark Angels treat them like the lowest of the low almost. They they go, oh, here's your mission. Run at that gun encampment and use them as bullet. Yeah. <laughs> they use them as meat shields and bullet shields to soak up while they go round the back and do their real job of looking for fallen um so the primaries are completely oblivious to all of this um that's what i was trying to say like a bit like children because yeah they, they just kind of want to 
help. They want to help their chapter. They're not really, as I said, they're not entombed in this secret lies business that sort of comes since, because they were created 10,000 years ago. So they've, they may know a bit about the Dark Angels, but what they used to be like and what they are now is probably very different. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, in that 10,000 years, they've become very, very good at keeping secrets and keeping everyone out. They don't let anyone into their legion, uh, into their chapter. Although, actually, slip of the tongue, not a slip of the tongue. Um, they are a chapter, the Dark Angels, but in the background, they still operate as a legion. Yeah. As, Asriel, the chapter master of Dark Angels, is in charge of all of the other successor chapters. They all answer to him. So they still operate as a legion in all but name, which I think is very, very dangerous. Like that is so heretical compared to. Yeah, he it's could, heresy, Dave. It is heresy. heresy. It is pure heresy. Um, so that was cool. And then, uh, yeah, the um, Mephiston book by Darius Hink sounded pretty cool. I'm not. I do like the odd Blood Angel story. Um, I've read a few. Uh, I think I've got a, a couple. I've got a. I can't remember who wrote them, but I've got. Um, I've got a two-parter series about Sanguinius. Um, uh, sorry, about Blood Angels. About uh, It's about two brothers, and one of them thinks he's turning into Sanguinius, and the other one is like, no, you're not. That's nonsense, and it's quite good. <laughs> but it's the only real book of Blood Angels I've read outside of the heresy. So Yeah, so I think this was a follow-up. He said he's done one before, so maybe this is a follow-up to that previous one, if, anyone's ever, if anyone out there has read it. And yeah, please let us know if you have read the first one or want to read this one. It'd be good to know. Yeah, I'm, I'm keen to know more. I think it's called The Blood of Sanguinius. Yeah, uh, so I think some of the description was that at this point Mephiston has maybe lost his amazing warpy magic powers and he's going to feel quite... Um, I guess isolated at this point. I don't know much about the character at all. As I said, Blood Angels were never really my thing, so I didn't really, I don't know much about their characters. But it sounds like he has, since the Great Rift has happened, that he's lost quite a lot of his ability, and he's therefore feeling quite maybe quite backed into a corner. And he's maybe he was feel, realizing that he was going down quite a dark path, and this has sort of been a jolt on, into him about, oh shit, okay. What am I actually doing? So yeah. it, it seemed it seemed quite interesting on a character study of of him and his role maybe in the Blood Angels chapter. So yeah, it, it seemed really interesting. Yeah, yeah, I, I really like the look of it. Um, that was it from that really. Um, again, um, Neil Roberts was in the room and he talked a lot about his artwork, but actually, it was a bit of a repeat. Not not a repeat, but. I didn't. I don't remember hearing anything new outside of what he talked about during the Horus Heresy one in terms of how he does his art, and it was all. It felt kind of similar. The answers. Yeah. Again, he talked about how I think in the Primaris Dark Angels one that he said he drew him with a sword, and then Phil Kelly was like, "Oh, okay," because they're Primaris, they don't really want to use close combat weapons. So he's like, "Okay, I'm gonna have to put something in there about him using a sword reluctantly because he's a Dark Angels." Yeah. It, yeah. Sort of. That's that bit about influencing the story. Yeah. Which is, yeah, that was nice. Um, so I guess moving on, I, I, I don't think I've got anything else to cover off on that sesh, that seminar. Have you? No, 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 it's good. No, so that we actually took a break at this point. Um, there were two seminars in two different rooms. One was called Age of Sigmar: Heroes and Villains, and the other one was Warhammer Forty Thousand: War in the Shadows. But we were a bit fatigued by that point. I was. I needed to just go and do Shop. some shopping. Essentially, yeah. <laughs> we realised our window for shopping was actually quite small, and. I had money burning a hole in my pocket, clearly. Um, so uh, then we went to 
the final session so we actually made a bit of a calculated decision the last two sessions uh, one was coming soon from black library which was hosted by a black library staff but in the other room which was called the shrine of the aquila which is a much much smaller room and it's actually this is really exciting it's behind scenes so it's in the actual offices you had oh, to like yeah. you had to go across the bridge like which i'd never done before and go into like an actual meeting room which was just totally not what i was expecting um but it was ticketed so it you didn't cost you any more money but when you got there it's first come first serve on dibs basically for the tickets which all three of us managed to get um but we went to it was writing for black library and it was hosted by um one of the editors but um the three speakers were dan abnett guy haley and nick kime um, and the majority of it was just the Q&A and I fucking loved every second of it it was the highlight for me yeah um, it, was, it was so good I was like proper grinning from ear to ear just listening to them speak about how they got into writing like their you know a bit about their history about what it's like to write for Black Library yeah it was really uh, good it was, yeah. uh, I, I'm trying to think of actual stories to talk about about it but it was just one of those moments where you're just in absolute wonder like I, I left it thinking fuck's sake I wish I could write I wish I could write. And then I realised that they're all kind of like that. All three of them were like that. They just kind of just started doing it and forced themselves every day. Um, I really liked, um, was it Guy Haley, the one in the middle? Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I liked his thing where he's like, I write 2,000 words a day. I, I just, if I don't write 2,000 words a day, I'm not, I'm never going to, you know, be able to write anything. Um, I like how they all have their own little systems and ways of doing things. Like Dan Abnett's written a book that, before he did any other book, he wrote a book just to convince himself he could actually do it, which I really thought yeah. was cool. Never been yeah, released. So I think Dan's background was that he said he wrote for, he was really into comics, so he wrote for, quite early on, he wrote for Marvel UK, and he did like Mr. Men books as well, and Transformer stuff in like the 90s. And he was saying about tie-in fiction, how a lot of people look down on tie-in fiction because you basically said, you know, you've got no... People say you've got no creativity in doing it because you've got all the characters there, you're told what to do, and you've just got to write a story. Well, actually, saying it's quite, he finds it quite liberating and quite a challenge because you get given, he says it was it like Ready Steady Cook, you get given all the ingredients, but you have to make the best story or you know, Ready Steady Cook, best, best food with those ingredients. So yeah. it's like, oh, so, you know, you've got Lois Lane and this character and this setting give us a story and so his challenge is to make the best story out of all those characters and I thought that was really good I loved it I loved it it was refined creativity it was reducing he didn't do an example of like it's, it's giving an artist a reduced palette so saying right you get black red and grey off you go um, I thought that was fascinating and you stuff that you've never thought about before yeah yeah, yeah I thought it was really interesting um, like I said that was the highlight of the, the day for me just um uh, just, just hearing about the creative process and even the pitching process, I found that fascinating. Um, they were talking yeah, about yeah. what a good pitch is and what a bad pitch is. Um, uh, and even Guy Haley was saying that he recently did a pitch and he did it completely fucking wrong and kicked himself for it. Um, but uh, they gave advice on that. Like, if, if anyone's listening here who is a budding writer, they were saying, your pitch, you need to be able to explain it in two sentences. Literally two sentences. Because an editor won't read more than that. They have hundreds come through a week or a month whatever he said it's all about making it easier for that person to look at something you you want to do and go oh yeah that's pretty cool like i think i want to hear more and then that's when you start giving the details 
Yeah, um, so you have like yeah, you sort of have two pitches. That you have your initial pitch, which is really short, sharp to the point. Then you have your slightly maybe long, like a page pitch, where it gives all the details, but not rambles, but you know, gives all the details to expand on that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Guy Haley had a really good example. He wrote the forty k. Uh, book called Baneblade, I believe, which is yeah, about tank. And he said his pitch, his one liner was Das Boot in a tank. And everyone was just like, yep, go and write that. That sounds amazing. Um, <laughs> which I thought was really funny. I thought it was a really nice story. Um, but yeah, that, that, just, that was the one that I came out of just feeling very inspired and very, um, I wish that was my day job kind of thing. Yeah, jealous. Yeah. Uh, cool. I, I think that covered the day off. And then we had a very long journey home where. We nearly ran out of petrol and had yeah, to. Yeah, that was, <laughs> that was literally squeaky bum time. I was yeah. like, we missed one petrol station. Oh, I've got no, I've got enough for probably another fifty miles. Like no, no petrol station, no yeah. petrol station. We we're so, coasting, uh, coasting okay, on fumes yeah. all the way into Ryslip in fucking <laughs> northwest London. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. So, shall we jump into question time? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, what I'll do is I've got six questions here coming from some of our listeners. Um, I'll start with one. If I if I read them out, Jamie, you can start by answering them, and then I'll chip in. How's that sound? All right. Yeah, sounds good. All right. So we've got Elliot Hammer from Core Hammer. Uh, shout out to the Core Hammer crew. Uh, Elliot's question is: Warhammer Horror. What did they say about it? Super intrigued. Um, so, what are your thoughts on Warhammer Horror? Bearing in mind well, we didn't actually attend the coming soon to Black Library. Uh, yeah, so we heard nothing about Warhammer Horror while we were there. We only found out about it in the car on the way home when they put up the article about what what we missed, basically. So yeah, we we obviously didn't go to the seminar where that was mentioned. Um, so I don't really have a lot to say about it. <laughs> hmm. Sorry, just drinking my drink. I agree. I don't have much to say about it. Although, having read the article since, even there, it doesn't say much. I am intrigued. Um, I have read. I, I, I like reading horror. Horror is interesting. Yeah. Um, I feel that they're doing this. Going to do a polar opposite. So they've got the kids stuff, which people are freaking out about, and we discussed in the car, and we think, why are you freaking out about it? It's yeah, great just to have... stop fucking protecting a hobby that doesn't belong to you. Is my attitude like <laughs> it's not your hobby? <laughs> it's everyone's. It can be for any age. Anyway, so ramp, in contrast to that, I feel that they're making a adult orientated horror aspect to their stories where obviously there's a lot of horror in 40k and it's but it's going to be i reckon it's going to be not the sci-fi orientated stuff i reckon it will be more of your classic horror so um think of an example i think it will be more like your maybe a bit more like hammer horror sort of sort of stuff yeah nice nice okay so sorry we can't answer specifically because we weren't in the room um well we were buying stuff can you blame us, to be fair? Well, yeah, it's kind of... Uh, I think it was actually when we were hanging out with Dan Abnett, so can you blame us? Can you blame yeah. us? Um, so, another one from Elliot. Any news on Age of Sigmar going forward? Plans, themes, or specific novels? Um, so we've kind of touched on that already, right? Yeah, so I think that Josh Reynolds' book is your good starting point of where you want to go from there. Basically, all the souls are going to Nagash, and everyone's getting a bit worried and concerned about how what they're going to do with their souls and how they're going to operate. So. Yeah, and uh, one thing we didn't say, and this is straight from the horse's mouth, i.e. Josh Reynolds, is it's about to get a lot grimmer 
the the yes. they they know they the the the, the industry so the the business know they released Age of Sigmar as a slightly polished, cleaner looking game than Warhammer Fantasy. That's not to say they now want to make it look like Warhammer Fantasy again, but they want to take it back into the space of it's a little bit grittier, a little bit darker and. I noticed it with the Malign Portents book. I don't know if you've read that, Jamie, or looked at it. No, I haven't. I haven't, as I say. Uh, not really dipped my turn to Sigma, although after this weekend, I, that may need to change. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's... the the Malign Portents book, even some of the artwork in that, is fucking fantastic. Like, just grim. Like, not gory grim, just dark and moody. Where a lot of the Age of Sigma stuff has been quite polished and poster boyish. It's far removed from that, and they're going back that way. Um, so that's cool. Um, yeah, I think they said like the Sigma stuff so far is just being your frontline troops, and you can see it in the new models as well. Like now you're getting to some more of the characters, more of the other aspects of not just your standard troops, which it looks interesting for sure. Yeah, very exciting. Okay, so hope we answered your questions, Elliot. Um, so I got a question from Instagram, uh, Athens Frame of Mind, who I believe gave us a really nice review, which is lovely. Yeah, thank you. The guy, the, he's been really good. He's been he's kept in contact with us for all the for loads of episodes. He got some stickers, which are, there are some stickers still available. So he's put them on his case, and he gave gave a few views of what he's what we thought of some books so far and possible books for the future. So yeah, he's been really good. Yeah, so thank you before we answer your question. Really appreciate the love. Um, so his question to you, Jamie, and me, I guess, is did anyone confirm how many books the Horus Heresy series will turn out to be? Also, will we ever get to know anything about the two unknown legions? And he jokingly said, I'm guessing you guys had fish and chips for lunch. Uh, so you're pretty close. We didn't. I did have chips. We had chips, we had chips because apparently I you can't, can't have a sandwich without chips in Warhammer World. <laughs> Um, so first question then so it was uh, did anyone confirm how many books Horus Heresy series will turn out to be no but they are in the final stretch so we don't know I, I don't see more than 10 I think 10 would be like the maximum amount until yeah. but like they said they're going to carry on they heavily hinted that there's going to be loads more I, in terms of getting to the, the, the Siege of Terror I think 10 would be a stretch like I, I don't see it being any more than that no um, but they also uh, said they like the original plan for the heresy was always to do like side stories, and then they realised that sort of has been slowing. Everyone will say, "Well, they've been doing loads of that. Let's get on with it." Yeah. So they may go back and do some more side stories backwards, which would be interesting. You know, get a bit more some Imperial Guard fiction in there or something like that. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, that we didn't. Well. Yeah, we didn't touch on that much. And I thought it was really interesting, and I felt that as a long uh, this Horus Heresy has been my favourite thing for years, absolute years. Um, I've only recently fallen behind because I've started reading other stuff but you know I was always trying to get hold of them as soon as they came out blah, blah. and you do notice it from about book 5 or 6 onwards it starts going off in different strands like uh, Legion where we were discussing this with some guys that were at the event that you know actually Jamie um, I can't remember yeah, the names yeah. now um, uh, James and Nick, shout out to James and Nick hi James and Nick, you were really nice, you were really nice guys um that you know, we, we we were quickly talking about that, and I was I pointed out that you know you could actually drop Legion as a book in the arc. You don't need it to read the main plotline at all. It's a great story, but actually, there's so many books like that that just go off on a little tangent because the whole point of the Horus Heresy, as Dan Abnett explained it, was um, it was originally planned to be a mosaic of the Heresy. 
So there wasn't going to be a strict structure. It was going to be a exploratory. Oh, let's go and re let's go write a book about this thing over here, and let's go write a book about this thing. And they realised that actually the appetite was getting too large for people to just people wanted to know the main thread all the way through the middle. Um, so they've sped that up on purpose because they're worried about the readership dropping off. Um, and just yeah, hang people just want to know about the about the Primarchs and the Marines, and I get it because. When you read them in the story, you're like, yes, I want to know about them. So, yeah, they thought, right, we need to get back to these main strands and push it forward. So, yeah. And you've noticed, I think I've noticed, you can see that in some of the later books now that it's become a bit more focused on that. Oh, I think they all have been focused on that now. There's no side stories anymore. It's all geared towards Horus getting to Terra, the last, I'd say, 10, probably, yeah. um, which is pretty great. Um, so, no, we don't know how long it'll be. Um, and the second question was also, will we ever get to know anything about the two unknown legions? Um, I actually know the answer to this. I personally think no. I think it's always been said by Games Workshop that we'll never touch on that, and it was, it was always going to be left alone. That is correct. That's the correct answer. They never existed. That's the point. Um, they flirt with telling you in the story, but actually they never have existed. So putting my... 20 years of hobby hat back on the, there's a quote somewhere from someone probably who still works at Games Workshop where they just said the only reason they were ever made up was so that Chaos Space Marine collectors and Space Marine collectors had a blank space to create whatever they wanted yeah, so you could make sure. the assumption that one was for the loyalists and one was for the baddies and off you go go do what you want it was just there was a, there was a little flippant thing that they did to give people creative freedom um, and interestingly, uh, they do make a lot of nods to the two missing legions in a lot of the, I'd say, the first ten Horus Heresy books. Yeah, they do, yeah. Um, maybe the first fifteen at a stretch. But, if I remember correctly, Laurie Golding, the old editor for Black Library, who is hilarious on Twitter. If you don't follow him, you should. He's good fun. Um, he He's actually said under his stewardship he just said we need to stop making allusions and nods to the two missing legions because they're not important they don't matter they never will matter they will never be revealed because because not, not because they want to keep it a secret there is nothing there nothing exists they've not ever written anything about it so no is the answer we won't that i think the thing that scares them is they don't want to create it because the unknowns are more exciting if you put everything under a spotlight, it becomes less interesting. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, I definitely. I mean, it, as you say, it's that space for creativeness, and like as you say, the hints are what are good about those stories. About you know, Magnus mentions knowing one of his one of the brothers, maybe, or one of he mentions seeing the other brothers. Yeah, well, don't that's have. That Sorry, that hint that's good. The knowing who that brother is probably is not that great. So. No, Dan Abner actually talked about that. Uh, uh, during the Horus Heresy session was the uh, the unknowns are far more interesting than the the sterile listing of every single detail of that non-existent fake story. If you leave stuff free and in a space of unknown, it makes the picture stronger in your head and the, every story is better in your head than it is when it's just splurged out loud. Um so it's better to leave it that way and I completely agree I like not knowing it makes I can make up whatever I want about it yeah um, so okay. sorry to piss on your bonfire basically yeah basically we didn't answer any of your questions with any detail so sorry mate but yeah 
Um, and no, we That's did not. That's kind not. of tough journalistic output you're going to get from us. <laughs> We're so professional. Um, um, our friend Elf with the next question, Andrew. Um, did they release any info on the big event itself? Um, is all as we know? Is it really the Emperor of Mankind in that chat? Um, so the big big event itself is all as we know. I'm assuming he's talking about the heresy and um, the you know the siege of terror. And we didn't get much other than all the key milestones you do know, as I mentioned, are going to happen. Um, yes, yeah, so I think he said. Yeah, basically everything you do know does happen, but it's those, as you said, as we said, the victors. That is all from the victors' side that we know. So yeah, so all this happened, happened, but there will be other stories that will never pass down into the forty-first millennia. So there'll be lots of other stories that we don't know happens that will be happening. Yeah, so, yeah. and and Dan hammered this home many times. It's the context. Context is the most important thing. Um, so you know, this isn't what they said. This is me just blue sky thinking. Why Sanguinius dies in the original story from the point of view of the Imperium is you know trying to kill Horus. For all we know, Horus might kill him for a very different reason. We don't know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We don't know. The context is what but will change dies, it. But we don't know exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That milestone is there. That milestone won't change. It's just about framing it for us. So yeah, um, that. That's so. That's the next question answer as well. Is, is all as we know it? No, but yes. <laughs> they're yeah. gonna they're gonna leave us in that lovely grey space of not knowing, and that's great. Should always be there. I really yeah, I, I hate sterile. I hate was, sterile knowing things. It's it's just not yeah. interesting. Um, I was gonna say. I think people were saying, "Oh, is Sanguinius actually dead?" I think we're basically saying he does die. But and like Ferris Manners, like you can't just put Ferris Manners' head back on. Like he's dead. But the stories around that are what are the ones that can maybe not quite be what you thought. Yeah. Um, and he ended it with, "Is it really the Emperor of Mankind in that chair?" I'm going to assume so. We don't yeah, know. I, I, <laughs> I had to choose so elf. Yes is the answer. But no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Who fucking knows? Um, so next one from the lovely Chaos Lord Beard. So that's Joe from Tabletop Tactics. Hi, Joe. Celebrity um, listener. Celebrity listener who we know outside of the podcast. <laughs> uh, weird enough, he actually lives just down the road from me. Um, we went out for beers a while ago. Hey, Joe, if you're listening, we should do more beers soon. Um, so Joe's question is, what are you guys most excited for from what was announced? And he's touching on something else already asked. Anything about the big fight between the big boys? Um so, what are you guys most excited for from what was announced? So, as we mentioned, we didn't go to that session because we were hanging out with Dan Abnett. But I have got the article up in front of me. Um, have you had a chance to read it, Jamie? Yeah, I did. I went and looked look for it. So, anything that jumps out at you immediately? Um, what I quite liked is not 40k related, but I like that Gotrex and Felix are coming back. Yeah, do they actually similar. say Felix's? Uh, well, th- he's trying to find him. Is that right? He's trying to find Felix, and he remember and Gotrex remembers everything about the old world. So that's quite interesting. And I presume, I mean, where he goes is Felix actually that far away? Yeah, I love that idea of Felix as being reborn uh, or reforged as a Stormcast Eternal. That's well, they are the hero, you know, old awesome. heroes of humanity. So yeah, who's more is... heroic than Felix? Yeah, yeah. 
So that sounds amazing, yeah. Um, and he's voiced by Brian Blessed in the audio book. Holy shit, I didn't realise that. That's why that's all those jokes about Brian Blessed were. Oh, that just went and, right over my head. Yeah, he's being voiced by Brian Blessed. I don't know if that was a joke, but it was in an article before it was said it was Brian Blessed. That's amazing. Um, so keeping it short and sweet, for me, the thing that jumps out the most because I'm such a fanboy is probably going to be Aaron Densky Bowden's um, new novel that I know that I've, I've, I've kept an eye on it for quite some time. Um, it's about a primaris chapter, so they're fully primaris, called Emperor's Spear. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it sounds really fascinating. So the, the, the blurb in the article is, it's a chapter isolated from the bulk of the Imperium and the trials they must go through to survive. This in-depth look into the Spears of the Emperor will debut as a limited edition and then kind of hard back six months later. Drives me mad. Um, but anyway, stop doing that, Black Library. Just give me everything up front so I don't have to spend 50 quid on the book just for it to come out in a smaller version later. Um, yeah, I think it looks really great because there's the Dark, An- the Dark Angel's primary story. There's a couple of other bits and pieces, but this is a whole new chapter that he's created. Like, they don't exist yet. Um... And I like seeing Aaron write stuff that's brand new. I just think that's really, really interesting. Um, so yeah, that, that's the big one for me. Um, Horus Heresy sort of jumped out as well. There's um, an anthology coming. Um, I can't remember the name of it. I think it might be called Heralds of the Siege. I don't know if you've seen the artwork, Jamie, but it's got Dawn on the front of it. With, yeah, yeah, and there's um, oh, with uh, yeah, yeah Malkador Sigilite and an Imperial Fist who I don't know who that is because it doesn't look like Sigismund. It looks like someone else. Sigismund yeah, normally it, got like. I kind no of thought Sigismund, but I don't know if it is. I'm not sure if it is because this guy's got hair. Sigismund's like a bald man and he, uh, Sigismund's armor's like got a lot more black on it. I don't know. I could be completely wrong. Is it Polox? Polox? Uh, yeah. No, he's put. Uh, Alexis Pulox is in um, Ultramar. He's in Imperium Secundus with Gilliman. Oh, right. No, and then there's... Yeah, and an Imperial Army commander, I'm guessing, lady in the background, who looks pretty rad. Yeah. So, yeah, awesome. Just I like exciting artwork. It looks great. And there was another um, image that popped up in the article, uh, a new piece of artwork by Neil Roberts. Um, it's the first cover-ish, uh, sorry, first image f- for the first new issue of Inferno. So they're going to be doing short story anthologies which combine all of your favourite authors. Um, but yeah, it's a picture of Horus and the Emperor fighting, but in Neil Roberts' style, which is incredible. Um, I don't it's know if hot. you've seen it, but it's very, very nice. It's very yeah. cool. It's hot. Yeah, yeah, awesome stuff. Um, so yeah, out of all the new stuff, that was what jumped out at me but yeah feels like we probably found out about it as soon as everyone else did because we weren't in the room um so yeah that's that's joe's question and um the last question for you is from your wife do the orcs beat the forest elves or can we expect a lighter ending hashtag asking for a friend she's definitely first of all not asking for a friend she wants to know about those orcs um I well, you know, I'm actually going to try and make her stupid, funny uh, comment a bit serious about how the orcs 
in Age of Sigma, or maybe the dist- and the whole destruction side may get. They felt like they were saying that they may be next up in terms of stories and maybe maybe an expansion of the models, etc., or something like that. It felt like Josh Reynolds said that was what he was wanting to do. Yeah, was look at destruction side and say, yeah, maybe there will be some more orc centric. Iron Jaws stuff. Yeah, he said he wants to write a story from the point of view of something in destruction because nothing really exists out there yet. Yeah. yeah, Maybe they will be the Wood Elves. Yeah, who knows? So take that. But definitely not a light hearted ending. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay, cool. That's it. That's all the questions. Um, Yeah, thank you for sending them in, everyone. That's really nice of you. That's given us loads to talk about. other than that, I loved it. I, I, I'm going to try and... I think we should pencil in going to the Weekender because it would be bigger and better. Um, With secret special guest. Yeah, who knows? I hope that's ADB. But, uh, I think he, apparently he's really fun at these events as well, so fingers crossed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, should we wrap up? Yeah, I don't know. I just want to... What did you buy, Dave, quickly? Oh, what did I buy? Uh, I bought four books. I bought four books? No, I bought three. Master of Mankind, Korax... And Slaves to Darkness. I've listened to Master of Mankind and Korax. I think Korax. I think I have. I can't remember. Um, but I just have to have them as well. Otherwise it's uh, it's not it's not cool not owning everything. Um, and I bought Shadespire, which I've played loads, but I've not, I don't own. And I'm trying to convince my better half, Sarah, to um, enjoy. So we're going to try and play that maybe after our exams in a couple of weeks. So... Fingers crossed I can convert her into the world of Warhammer. <laughs> and what did you buy, Jamie? Uh, I bought, as I mentioned, I bought First Heretic, because that's where I'm up to, actually, in, in the heresy novels. So uh, this podcast sort of puts a dampener on my heresy reading. So I try and sneak in a heresy book every now and then. The price of fame, Jamie. The price of <laughs> fame. You don't get to read what you want anymore. <laughs> no, because I'm still reading what I want. It's just yeah. <laughs> not necessarily in the order I want. <laughs> yeah. But it doesn't matter because I'm enjoying all books that we've been picking so far. So that's been good. So yeah, I've got First Heretic to look forward to, which is good because it's been my screensaver at work for quite a long time, actually, that cover. It's the Custodies. Yeah, so. it's incredible. It's one of the best books in the series, in my opinion. I think a lot of people would agree. Um, the sequel to it, so it's not the direct fin- book after, but there's the actual sequel to it, Betrayer, is equally as good. Um, I'm almost tempted to say to you as soon as you finish that, go and buy Betrayer and read that. I think I'm, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, I, I, honestly, you'll you'll want to go back and read First Heretic again and then read Betrayer again. It's that good. Um, so I got that, and then I got some because just before we went, they announced that the Forge Worlds Admech bits have now have rules for 40k Eighth Edition. Yeah. So I was very tempted to buy Drill just because it's a fucking Drill. And it's Father's local. Day. Yeah, but I resisted on dropping seventy-five sheets on that. Possibly just till my, to possibly delay it a couple of months till my birthday. But um, and I got some hoplites instead. Yeah, they they're really cool. nice. They're lovely. They look really, really great. I don't know how good they are. They're probably doesn't not matter. That great. Doesn't matter. No. Doesn't matter. They'll look great. Uh, they're guys with shields and spears that will prod at people and electrify them. So yeah, it's cool. Yeah, no, they're lovely. Um, what did James buy? He bought a lot of stuff. Uh, he bought a the Sister of Science ship, the one that's like straight out of June. Yep. Which is 
cool. I love that ship. It's great. Oh, and the land speeder. Oh, and the, yeah, the, yeah, the Mark One, basically that. The, yeah, the land speeder that's got like just two guys sitting on the seat, whipping across the countryside. Like, ah. He has a resin crack addiction. Yeah, I think he also bought some. Did you buy a book? Uh, likely. I can't remember now. He'll tell us. Yeah. Um. Cool. Uh. So I guess that's it for the episode. Um. Next time we'll be talking about Priest of Mars, which I have finished. Have you finished? I'm almost there now. I I delved into it a bit more and got it's good. I'm and really enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. It's really really fun. It was really good. Um. But we'll save that for next episode. Um. Mm-hmm. And not going to tell anyone what it is, but we have an idea of what the one after uh, episode after will be too. So we're kind of flying at the moment. It feels good. Yeah. Um, well, I give a little hint that is possibly in the context of this podcast, it may have influenced on what we're going to do next. Yeah. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Um, cool. All right. Well, I'm going to call it a day and stop recording. So thanks for listening. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. And thanks. Remember, heresy. 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 <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.